Have you ever known someone that was just an exceptional storyteller? Someone that when he or she told stories, they had you hanging on every single detail as the story unfolded. You know, some people are just more naturally gifted at telling stories than others. However, a certain part of of telling stories well is learned over time. And I think of grandparents or grandparent-like figures who tell stories well and have children and grandchildren, perhaps great-grandchildren, waiting to hear about how things perhaps once were. I can remember my grandmother sitting down and, and sharing with myself and brother and sister and cousin about how things were when she grew up and and just wanting to hear more, waiting to hear more. But the greatest storyteller to have ever lived didn't talk about how things once were. In fact, he used common analogies and illustrations and stories to talk about how things really are today, to talk about real life today. In fact, the, the greatest storyteller wasn't a grandparent for that matter, he wasn't even a parent. He was about a 30-year-old single man who used ordinary pictures and language to draw in an audience and to pull them in, to participate in stories as he taught deep spiritual truths through common language. And his name was Jesus. Today we began a new message series entitled The Divine Storyteller, where we're going to look at the storyteller and the stories that he told for the next several weeks. We're going to look at the way that he used language, parables, stories to, to draw in a crowd, and to invite them to participate, and then to challenge them with, with truths of God. Now, a parable can can mean more than what we think of when we think of a story. In fact, a parable can mean a proverb or an analogy. But for our time together, for our sake, we're going to use parables of Jesus interchangeably with stories of Jesus. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. And During our time in Jesus' stories and Jesus' parables... I think we'll see that Jesus told stories for a purpose. Every time that he told a story, every time he told a parable, it was with something in mind. He had something to accomplish, something to communicate to his listeners. And he didn't just tell each individual story with a purpose. But he told stories, parables in general for a purpose. And that's our task this morning as we sort of have an introduction to the parables, an introduction to the series. We want to answer the question, why? Why did Jesus use this method at times of teaching? And fortunately for us, we're, we're told in Scripture by Jesus himself why he used parables, why he used stories, common pictures, analogies, comparisons to teach Spiritual truth. So look with me in your Bibles at Matthew chapter 13. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, but Matthew chapter 13, and I'll begin reading in 
verse 10, and I want to invite you to follow along with me as I do. Matthew chapter 13, verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our time in it this morning. Lord, we ask that that your truth would be front and central. Lord, that, that you would speak to us through your word, for your glory, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, this particular passage, Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 and following, comes right after Jesus has, has told a fascinating story, a fascinating parable, which will be our subject next Sunday. We'll back up and look at that a week from today. But right after this story, his disciples, his followers come to him. They pull him aside, verse 10, and they say, why do you speak to the people in parables? Why do you speak this way? In other words, why don't you just tell people how it is? Why don't you just be straightforward and and speak the things of God in a a direct way, in an easy-to-understand way? And then we get Jesus' reply here in the verses that follow. Now, Jesus was... A master storyteller. And he was, he was a master teacher. And he often used pictures, word pictures, analogies, illustrations in his teaching to, to supplement his teaching. For example, he said, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about your body, what you will wear. And then he, he gave an illustration of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field and how God's provision for those, the birds and the lilies, ought to impact our own trust in God to provide for our needs. And so he used this sort of language often. He was good at picking things out, ordinary things out, ordinary pictures and language out to to supplement his points. But that's not what he's doing in the parables. In the parables, he's actually doing something different. Rather than, than speaking this way to to supplement his, his main teaching points, he's wrapping it all up in one package and putting spiritual truths inside of a picture, inside of an analogy, inside of a story. And if that doesn't make any sense, think of it this way. This is sort of like the difference between a hamburger steak and sides and a well-garnished cheeseburger. Okay? Just follow with me just for a moment. A hamburger steak 
is the main course. It's the main entree, the main dish. And, and picture some good sides along with that, perhaps some steak fries and a side salad and, uh, and, and a roll or something like that. Those other dishes, those side dishes are meant to, to supplement, to support that main dish as you eat it. Not so with the cheeseburger. The cheeseburger, it's all wrapped up in one package and it's up to your taste buds to distinguish what is, what is primary and what is supplementary. AKA the beef patty or, or whatever kind of patty you like on your burger. That is primary. The, the lettuce, the tomato, the bun, the, the ketchup, the mustard. That's all supplementary. So just remember, hamburger steak and sides equals traditional teaching style. Well, garnished cheeseburger equals parables. <laughs> and now that we're all thoroughly confused, why, why did Jesus teach this way? Why did he adopt this different method of teaching in order to communicate certain spiritual truths, certain points? And he tells us right here in his word. And he did this because the parables of Jesus connect spiritual truths to everyday life. The parables of Jesus connect spiritual truths to everyday life. Now this is, this is not seen explicitly from this particular passage from this section, but just a cursory look at Jesus' parables will communicate that truth. For example, he taught that the kingdom of heaven, verse 24, is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Or verse 31, it's like a mustard seed. Or verse 33, it's like a woman who took and mixed yeast into a large amount of flour until it worked all throughout the dough. Or verse 44, it's like a treasure hidden in a field. So what Jesus was doing was he was using things, pictures, that his audience, that his listeners were familiar with in order to communicate the spiritual truths of God. These all would have been pictures that people in first century Palestine would have been somewhat, if not more than somewhat, familiar with. And so if Jesus lived in the 21st century in Alabama versus the first century in Palestine, no doubt his parables would have sounded different. His points may have been the same, but his, but his pictures would have been totally different. Perhaps he would have talked about football or traffic or fried chicken or a number of other things that are common in our culture that, that most, if not all of us, can relate to. But this is, this is what Jesus did. He adopted ordinary language. He used ordinary language to teach deep spiritual truths of God. And it was practical. And that's what what we can deduce from all of these stories is that Jesus wanted us to see God in the ordinary. In other words, what we believe about God, our theology affects our real life, the way that we live day to day. So Jesus would draw his listeners in and invite them to be participants in the story and then challenge them on an individual level to to carry out and to live the principles that were being taught through his stories. The parables of Jesus connect spiritual truths to everyday life. But what did Jesus actually say? 
Let's get to the rest of this. What, what was Jesus' response when he was asked the question, Jesus, why are you teaching in parables? Why do you, why do you teach this way? Look back at verse 11. He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Now, this is a complex answer to that question. This is, this is not an easy question just to, to fly through. So basically Jesus says to his followers, he says, the knowledge of the secrets or the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, the things of God's kingdom, have been given to you, but not to the crowds, not to the masses. And then he tells them that Whoever has will be given even more. Whoever has that knowledge will receive even more, will have an abundance. And for the others, whatever they have will be taken from them. And then he goes on in verse 13, and he, he says, Though seeing, talking about the crowds, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. A common phrase that's used throughout the Old Testament to describe the people the Israelites, that were not responding in faith to God. Then he goes on and he quotes this Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah chapter 6. He says, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. This people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. And the original context of this passage that Jesus is quoting from in Isaiah, it's referring to, to the Israelites' unresponsiveness to the message of the prophet. They're not responding with obedience. They're not responding in faith to what God has sent Isaiah to proclaim. And so now we see the same thing happening through Jesus, that generally speaking, the masses, the crowds, are not responding in faith to Jesus' teaching. However, some, his followers, are. They are responding to faith, in faith. And so the context in which Jesus is teaching these things is a context of spiritual dullness on the part of the masses, mostly unresponsive people. This is not easy to understand. It's not easy to, to grasp exactly what Jesus is saying and there have been a number of different interpretations to what was just read. And, and because of that, I want to mention three of them this morning. And we're not going to spend a lot of time here. I know, uh, because this is, this is not, in my opinion, the heart of the passage. This is not the main point for us as we walk away from, from this passage saying, what does this passage mean for me? So we're going to work through these rather quickly. But bear with me just for a moment. Three interpretations to, to what's being communicated right here. And one is that these stories were told by Christ because, generally speaking, the crowds had rejected Christ. They had not responded to him in faith, and so he began to teach in such a way that would conceal the truth from those that had already rejected him, but at the same time to deepen the faith of those that had trusted in him. So that's one. The stories were told because the crowds had generally rejected Christ. The second interpretation is this, that the stories were told by Christ because God had called and elected, set apart some to be his people in such a way that 
He was communicating the things of God, the truths of God, in a way that they would understand, but those that had not been set apart by him had not, would not understand or, or catch or be familiar with, those that had not responded to him in faith. So that's the second interpretation of this. And still a third interpretation is, is something totally different that sees Jesus' response and, and his rationale for teaching this way being more tied to the fact that the crowds had not responded to his direct teaching. They had not believed in him in faith. And so now he's adopting a new method, a new way of teaching them with the hopes that some would respond to that method. And as good and appealing as that third option sounds, I have a hard time reconciling it with this passage and with much of Scripture. So all that to say, I fall somewhere in interpretation one and two. There's overlap there. I don't see this as an either or. It's both and. God had called and set apart a people to be his people, but at the same time, People were held responsible for how they responded to Christ. And you may have a totally different interpretation or you may fall somewhere else on that or care less about what I think and that's perfectly okay as well. But the point is, there's a tension here. There's a tension in Scripture in this passage as well as the rest of the Bible when it comes to to God's role and our role in responding to Him in faith. And to, to overlook that, to simply say it's not there, or to gloss over it is simplistic, because it's all over Scripture. But at the same time, to come away as if we fully understand it and, and have our minds wrapped around it is also a bit simplistic as well. It's okay to, to acknowledge attention a biblical mystery, a biblical truth, and to say, I don't fully understand that, and that is okay. But what does this teach us? Other than that there is a mystery there, there's a tension there. What, what can we draw from this passage and Jesus' response? And I think it's this, that Jesus' rationale for stories confirms God's sovereignty and our responsibility. Jesus' rationale for stories, right here, the way that he answers the question, why do you tell stories? His rationale, his response for stories confirms God's sovereignty and our responsibility. In other words, his response endorses the fact that God is the ruler, that he is in control. In other words, that ultimately his will will be accomplished in the world, but at the same time, we are still fully responsible for how we respond to Jesus and held accountable for how we respond to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And we see that tension in this passage. It says in verse 11 that that God gives the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, a.k.a. faith in Christ, to some and not others. And at the same time, it says that this people's heart has become calloused and they have closed their eyes to the truth. So God is is sovereign, yet we are still responsible. God gives and we harden. However, the stories of Jesus in Scripture enrich the faith of his followers. 
I think we do see that. I think we can make that statement and say, Scripture does teach this, that the stories of Jesus enrich the faith of his followers. In other words, those that were responding to Jesus in faith, whether fully as his disciples yet or not, those that were believing the things that he was teaching, that were drawn to him, God used these stories, these parables, to enrich their faith, to deepen their faith in him. And it should be the same for us. If you trusted in Jesus as a 10-year-old, if you put your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, as Lord and Savior, as a 10-year-old, then then your knowledge of the King of Jesus and his kingdom ought to look different as a 20-year-old, and as a 30-year-old, and as a 60-year-old, as you're drawn back to the life and the teachings of Christ and the things of the kingdom. This is the process, and I believe this is what Jesus is getting at here, the process of growing in our walk with Christ, growing in faith in Christ over time as we encounter Jesus. And we also see here that the stories of Jesus confirm the faithlessness of the crowds. You can also say, based on Jesus' response, that the stories of Jesus confirm the faithlessness of the crowds. And by this, I mean the response of the crowds, the response of the masses to Jesus, those that had already flat out rejected Jesus as the Messiah, as a true prophet, as sent by God, the things that he was claiming through his teachings and through his words, those that had already rejected him up to this point, as Jesus taught through stories and as he taught through parables, those same people continued to reject him. The crowds still rejected him. And in this way, verse 14, they were ever hearing, but never understanding. They were ever seeing, but never perceiving fully the things of God. Now we could probably spend a good bit more time on verses 11 to 15, and I know you're all dying to, but for the sake of time, we're going to move on to verses 16 and 17, which I believe is uh, the main point and heart of this passage for us today to walk away with, and at the same time as we embark on this journey through the parables together. So look back with me at verses 16 and 17. So after Jesus gave this response, this rationale for why, why he used this method, He then looked at his disciples and he said, But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not see it. Those who respond to Jesus with faith have been blessed with softened hearts and the privilege to learn directly from the divine storyteller. Those who respond to Jesus with faith have been blessed with softened hearts and the privilege to learn directly from the divine storyteller. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that that through the Spirit of God, through God's Holy Spirit, He is those that have responded to Jesus, believing that he is indeed the Son of God and Savior of the world and placed their faith in him by the grace of God, their eyes have been opened. The Spirit of God has worked 
in some means or another to open their eyes to the truth and to cause them to help them to respond in faith to him. And so those that have done that, their hearts have been softened. And God in some way or another is involved in that softening. And and because he is, he deserves our full devotion and praise and thanksgiving because he has worked in our lives in a way that has caused us, helped us, and even given us the opportunity to believe in him. But not only have those that have responded to faith in Jesus been blessed with softened hearts, but they've also been blessed with the opportunity, with the privilege to learn directly from the master. That's what Jesus told his disciples in verse 17. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men, in other words, men who sought after God, who lived before the time of Christ's ministry on earth, many of them longed to see what you see but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Or men who were seeking after God, were awaiting, longing for the day when God's plan of redemption would unfold through the Messiah on earth and who never saw it. And now he's saying to his disciples, you, however, have been privileged to see it and to hear it directly from the Savior. To hear words from his mouth and to hear his teaching, to witness him speak the truths of God, the fulfillment of what everything else before has been pointing to, you've been privileged to hear. Now, unlike the disciples in the first century, you and I have not been able to witness Jesus stand by the Sea of Galilee or in the synagogue or on the side of a dirt road, tell these stories, these parables of incredible spiritual truths that influence our lives and apply to our lives day to day on this earth. We, we have not seen that. We have not witnessed that. However, as followers of Jesus Christ today, we do have the living word of God. Holy words of long ago that have been preserved so that we can hear and respond to and understand the message and the teachings of Jesus Christ. A privilege that not everyone around the world has today. But you and I, we do. And so as we think about this truth and the blessings that, that we have received the blessing of softened hearts to respond in faith to Christ and the blessing, the privilege to learn through the words of Scripture, through the pages of Scripture, directly from the Master, the divine storyteller, Jesus Himself. Jesus desires to convict us and to mold us and to teach us and to shape us, to conform us more and more into His image. As we approach his, his word, his teachings, and yes, his stories, with an attitude of faith in him, desiring for those things to take place. So the stories of Jesus provide truth for life. We've seen that, spiritual truth. 
In everyday life, they provide truth for life. They endorse God's rule as well as our role. And they remind us of God's blessings on us. The stories of Jesus provide truth for life, endorse God's rule as well as our role in responding to him in faith. And they remind us of God's blessings on us. And so as we embark on this journey for the next few weeks, looking at specific parables, specific stories that Jesus told, let's begin by recognizing and believing those truths to be true. Let's approach the stories of Christ expecting and desiring God to to work through them and to teach us the things of God, spiritual truths that will readily apply to the way that you and I live today and tomorrow, this week and the rest of our lives. And let's, let's acknowledge as we study these stories that, that God is the sovereign creator and he holds us fully responsible to how we respond to Jesus Christ. And let's be thankful Let's thank God that he has blessed us with the opportunity to hear directly from the master and to respond with enriched faith in Christ. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to Look at your word. Lord, we thank you that we have the scriptures, the Holy Bible, in our language to examine, to read, to proclaim, to hear, and ultimately to respond to. Lord, we're grateful for the way that you have blessed us with your word, the teachings of Christ. Lord, I pray that we would approach them often with submissive hearts and open minds, willing to learn, to be challenged, to be convicted, to be taught, to be transformed by your Spirit, and to be more of a reflection of what we're called to be followers of Jesus Christ, little Christ in this world. Lord, I pray that you would continue to to dwell among us as your people and to be glorified by us. Lord, may we praise you today. May you be honored in this time and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.